All right. This is the Investors and Operators Podcast. I am here with two guests today, uh, Kissin Patel, who is the CEO and founder of Deal Room. And he is also the executive producer of M&A Science, which is a podcast I've been following for a while. And I have some mad respect for Kissin because of just how he thinks about marketing, um, and just doing things that are different in our industry. And I think particularly in the M&A industry, we've been kind of doing the same stuff for too long. and We need to experiment a little bit more, uh, which is the background for this episode. Uh, I'm also joined by Jeff Henningsen, who is uh, a president and partner at Lockton Companies, which is uh, the largest privately held uh, insurance brokerage. And he is the uh, executive producer, founder, master creator behind Private Equity Fast Pitch. And I just think that it would be cool for us to just dive into why you started the podcast. What has been the benefit? Should people in our market do a podcast? Like, who cares? Should we even be doing this? Um, but before we dive into the why, the how, can we just first start with the facts and figures about your podcast? What do you focus on? When did you start it? How many total downloads and average downloads? And we'll start there. My podcast started in, two, I want to say about 2017 is when we started publishing. Started with just one season per year, around 10 or so shows. And uh, today we probably publish more frequently. We'll still do seasons, but then we just move right into the next. We got about, I don't know, 40, 45 published. We just started doing a live weekly series. We have about 90,000 downloads on our main podcast. Uh, and then you obviously syndicate some platforms that don't give you data. But that's uh, roughly the scope. We ballpark it around 15,000 listeners. Private Equity Fast Pitch has been running since March of 2018. So just two years now and just published our 60th episode. And our uh, downloads have been a little bit north of 50,000 downloads post on LinkedIn, send out uh, direct emails to my client list, which is about 3,000 uh, names. I'd love to kind of dive into the, the why, because I think that's the most important thing when doing something that takes a lot of effort like, like this. And Kissing, can you kind of start off and, you know, you've been doing this since 2017, have what, over 90,000 downloads across your podcasts. What was the why, not for why you started, but your why now for this is a valuable activity. Uh, I think it was well, probably just an experiment. Like, yeah, it sounds good. Let's go, let's go do it. That's the way it started. I had a buddy of mine who was in marketing and, and he came to me. He's like, you got to do a podcast. And my response was, what's a podcast? And he's like, don't worry about it. It's going to be something big. You just, you want to get onto it early. And uh, I told him, hey, part of developing software, we do these customer development interviews and it's helped me tremendously to sort of ground our efforts to make sure we're solving real world problems and not just stuff that we assume are our customer problems. And as, as I was explaining to him, he's like, yeah, 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 just publish that. That sounds like great content. That was the idea. It was I, I thought this was really interesting. I'm learning a lot from interviewing folks and uh, other folks would benefit as well. We just started publishing content on that. Uh, it's evolved where maybe it was more of a hobby effort originally. And now I've merged it with Deal Room's marketing team. So there's a, a team behind it for our production. And it's, it's just become much different effort because we're using this as grabbing content, but targeted interviews, and really picking up on specific topics that we're looking to cover. And then a lot of times with these interviews, we'll transcribe them, convert them into blog posts, 
eBooks. We've actually published a book focused on project management and really synthesized a lot of different techniques from these interviews as well. So it's, it's really expanded not only just these uh, long-form interviews, but turning it into various forms of publications. Have you seen that have a clear line to sales? I, I want to say it's like a clear direct line. I, I think you really expand your marketing with content. So if you look at more of the inbound marketing approaches, it really curates a lot of fuel for that. So we're seeing a lot more activity with the, this content that we publish that generates traffic, that funnels down into some quality leads, not directly, but indirectly, yes. Well, it's a long game. Sam Jacobs from the Revenue Collective, who was the former head of sales for Axial, he just said at the very beginning, like, you have to accept that this is a long game. And it's about not just content, but also developing meaningful relationships. And I was wondering, how, how do you think about planning content? So for the people out there who might be private equity firm or private credit fund or investment banking or law firms. And they're saying, cool, guys, you got me. I'm going to do it. Where the hell do I start? I think in the beginning, and I'm curious on your thoughts, Jeff, uh, you start off with just guessing. You kind of guess and, hey, this would be an interesting topic and something maybe you're generally curious about. But as you get going, you start getting, or make sure you have a, a feedback loop with your listeners. Because today, I've just in the past couple of weeks, I've been told we need to focus a topic around employment engage, employee engagement. So I just got off a prep call for around employee engagement. Heard a lot around divestitures. This was not a lot of great how-to content around divestitures. So that's another topic that we're picking up on. So initially, put stuff out there, put all stuff out of your own curiosity, but then keep a feedback loop with listeners and, and really get their input. That'll help guide you in terms of what other topics to cover. Um, and before we go over to, to Jeff, can you talk about your overall setup? I mean, I know you have a very nice setup going on there, but the, the starter kit, um, it, I mean, it could be get your phone and just record it and press record on Zoom, upload it to Dropbox and send it over to post-production in the Philippines or wherever you, you post-production. But like, that's how we do it. Um, how... How do you think about the cost per episode? If someone says, I don't want all the bells and whistles, I want the basic thing, I'll commit to doing 10 episodes once a week, how much do they think about the cost for that and maybe per episode? I think starting out, get a good mic. I, I think just audio quality is important and especially you're defining your own voice. You can get a nice USB mic for $100, $200 that plugs directly into your computer. I always start with something simple. And then uh, most of your cost is in the post-production effort. The more you can control, the better. But if you're completely outsourcing all of that, you want to find some reliable source. There's obviously a lot of companies out there that'll do this work for you. Or you can go on platforms like Upwork and hire a freelancer and have them become part of your in-house process. I, I think that's probably one thing you want to try to experiment with. I think it's evolving really quickly because now you're seeing tools like Descript where you're really automating a lot of that stuff and doing text editing to actually change the audio. But that, that's getting interesting. And then also too, think about what you're, how you're sort of expanding or the extensions of the content. For us, we do a lot with writers. We have a team of writers that are turning it into various forms of content and social media assets as well. So I, I think sort of having a clear-cut plan on that, because then you'll get a sense, do I just need a podcast editor and that's it? And they're going to take care of all this stuff? Or are we really doing expanse? Are we doing video? Do I need a video editor? Are we creating some blog posts out of this? Do we need to work with writers? And then you figure out how you want to create that process and where they're going to come in. 
you do the transcript first, clean it up, write the content and do audio or vice versa. It's a little bit different for every company. There's no like one set way of doing it, but um, start off with something really simple and just evolve it. Awesome. Jeff, over to you. Can you can you remind us again about uh, the name of the podcast, what episode you're on, and just your general process that you go through from booking people to shooting and the post-production? The name of the podcast is North Star's Private Equity Fast Pitch. And, you know, uh, you mentioned uh, a long game. So I've been in the private equity world for 30 years now. Uh, I actually started with a private equity firm in 1990 and worked there until 1994. For too long of a story, maybe a different podcast, I decided to move into the insurance world and serve the private equity community that I came from. I've been doing that for 25 years. And a particular article that I shared with Jordan maybe a couple of weeks ago that really resonated with me was uh, an article about building your own personal brand. And it's a brand, an article from Fast Company called A Brand Called You. And I've been living that motto along with another article, I think from Fast Company as well, called The Rise of the Super Connectors. Everything about uh, what I've been doing for the last 25 years has been adding value back to the community and the people that I'm engaged with. And, and I'm a heavy introvert. So I, um, I tend like to like to put people in front of each other and, and have the credit for doing that, but not be the star of the show. And what led to the podcast is kind of an interesting story. I'd, I'd run a private equity happy hour in Texas for 19 years, and we were running it in Dallas and Houston. And the concept was, if you're calling on Texas, three times a year, we were going to host a happy hour on Wednesday in Houston and a happy hour in Dallas on Thursday. And so I would email 3,000 people saying, hey, if you're marketing in Texas, swing through Texas, go to Houston, do your local meetings, go to the happy hour, go to Dallas, do your local meetings, do the happy hour, go home. After 19 years of doing that, it had grown a little bit tired and everybody was doing happy hours. And I was really trying to kill this happy hour, but I didn't have something else to replace it with. And I happened to be with my oldest son uh, hanging around at Thanksgiving in 2017. And he was playing with some software and a mic. And he said, hey, go outside. I'm going to call you and test this software. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm messing around with podcast software. And kind of like you said, what's a podcast? And he turned me on to Joe Rogan and, and Tim Ferriss and some others that have been doing this a while and started to see that as a, a possible way that I could maintain that connectivity to send my emails out to the 3,000 people that are important to me, but continue to add value back to the community. And so as everybody seems to do, they call a bunch of friends and say, hey, what's it? what do you need to uh, start a podcast or friends of friends that had podcasts? And the common theme, which is, I think is the same as it was then, is you've got to have good content and you got to have an audience that want to hear that content. And I feel, felt like I had that. I had uh, private equity investment Relation, investment bank relationships that I'd had for a long time and a community of older and younger folks that are either in that industry or wanting to get in the industry or vendors that call them that industry that would want to listen to it. And so started with a test with Kurt Harris uh, in the early spring of 2018 and kind of fell into a pattern. I'm a big believer in, in a rinse, wash, repeat pattern type of concept. So I'm not changing script, if you will, for each podcast. I'm asking the same five core questions, which I didn't realize that at the time is kind of the Gary Vee concept, how to repurpose something. So I always ask, you know, what advice would you give to a college kid that wants to go into private equity investment banking? What's your favorite quote, motto, or what drives you? Then that allows me to take the snippets of those podcasts and create montages in a new podcast 
that I can distribute to college kids or whatever it may be. Uh, and it's just kind of grown from there. But if you go back to the very beginning, all 60 episodes, except the montages, they all have that same kind of pattern. Uh, and I've just leaned on relationships that I've had over the years to, to get most of my speakers. Although, as we were talking earlier, I do look at who is uh, liking the podcast posts on LinkedIn. And that has led to a reach out to some folks saying, hey, I see you like this podcast. You're listening. Love to talk to you about joining me on my podcast. What days do you typically record? What days do you typically distribute? How long does it take to do it? How much does it cost? Yeah, so my pattern originally was weekly. Uh, what I realized was is that, um, and, and now I'm into an every other week pattern. So uh, what I realized was my audience wasn't able to consume weekly. They, they generally have too much going on. And I still have people that say, oh, I'm really wanting to list that podcast, but I've got it set up for a weekend listen and, and they eventually get to it. So I think, you know, you got to, as you're doing here is decide what's the purpose of your podcast. My podcast purpose really is about the email touch points and the push through and the value that I add for the guest, less about necessarily how many people listen to each particular episode. And I found that every other week works from a pattern for me. So it takes about 20, 30 minute pre-call with the with the guest to get them set up on, you know, comfortable what I'm doing. And then we have a call, which is typically an hour. The first 50 episodes, I edited those 100% myself. And it was about two to two and a half hours of editing. I'm, you know, in, in podcast world, there it ranges, as I found out early, that, you know, you have the Joe Rogan show, which is really like a Joe Rogan show. It's him talking um, mostly and his guest sometimes talking. Uh, and it's not edited. You have Tim Ferriss, which I think is edited a little bit and kind of a back and forth. If you listen to my podcast, I'm about a 5% uh, airtime and my guest is 95%. And I heavily edit ands and ums and content. And during the conversation, I'll say, hey, what would be a great question to ask you next? And we talk about it. And then I ask the question, then we click that out. So it becomes more of a, maybe not an entertainment, but a little bit of an entertainment type of podcast where people can listen very efficiently. Um, cost wise, so I will show you my recording studio. It's right <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of mic is that? I've got a, 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 a couple of books. I've got a blue mic, which was, I think, when I bought it two and a half years ago, was um, 120 bucks. I use GarageBand to record on, and that's what I do my editing. We record on two tracks my track and the guest track. I do it by phone, and I have a Mac. That's it. And and the cool thing about that, I have people that I know who've actually leased space, created podcast studios with all the fancy soundproofing and everything. I've edited podcasts, recorded podcasts from the Bahamas, from Mexico, from overseas. As long as you have a good line, line connection, you can do it by phone. And I haven't done video recording yet, but pretty efficient, pretty cheap, and, and sound quality is pretty good. I, I think Kissin said this earlier, and I think this is the key to being a good podcast host, is having a curiosity and a knowledge of what you're asking questions about to set up your guest for the answers that are going to be interesting to people. And where I've been able to really feel like, hey, this has been a success for me is not necessarily my views, but I have about 20 of my guests that have posted their podcast on their own website, uh, Lazard, which is a huge global investment bank. The CEO of Lazard, if you go to their webpage and look up Bob Frost, my podcast is on their main page with his name saying Bob Frost featured on Jeff Henningsen's podcast. That's the push through you're looking for. Besides the listen is just I've got 20 firms where every time somebody goes to that website, they see that guest hosted by Jeff Henningsen on a podcast. Do you give your guests a 
checklist of like how to distribute? Do you have a request up front? We give them examples of what other people have done. We ask them for photos. We show them how to like it on LinkedIn. Most people are pretty adept at that, but um, we kind of individually guide based on what the podcast guest you know knowledge is. I've had to email like best practices, like no external links because they'll get flagged in the algorithm or don't share my post because then I'll get flagged or I'll get reduced and then upload natively. So as opposed to like, here's the YouTube link because uh, LinkedIn wants you to stay on the platform. Um, (laughs) Over to you, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on what are maybe three ideas that private equity firms who might be interested in starting a podcast like Parker Gale's Private Equity Fundcast, like what are just some you know, three topics that they can explore right now to start doing a podcast. Yeah, I guess it depends on which uh, insight they're trying to drive into because it could be featuring some of their portfolio companies and maybe getting into some of the management challenges those companies have or implementing some of these uh, strategies they've done to, to create value and sort of get that uh, insight in terms of what's working, what's not, or maybe is, is it a topic that's more geared towards just the private equity sector in general and get a sense of what trends, how people are responding to current downturn, et cetera. Uh, or are we going to go upstream and start talking about stuff that's important for LPs to identify uh, things related to the private equity world and, and what information they may want to know? So I, I think there's sort of thinking about what that theme is, you know, maybe it is something just broader and you're just getting some, some high level insights from individual people. Uh, Jeff, on, on a similar note, what have you found through these 60 episodes of the things that really resonate with people? And then also, you know, what is the one episode or one moment that you've had when it kind of made you realize why you enjoy doing the podcast? Everything I do is driven by what attracts me. I'm not a big consumer of content, meaning here's my, I'm going to pontificate on the future of the lending world or something like that. I love the stories. I love the personal um, information that guests share. Uh, I love Tim Ferriss. That's, you know, he, he pulls really great information from his guests. And that's what I try to do is you know, I, I have had three guests who've been uh, former army, served in the army. Uh, those are great stories. You know, just uh, one guest who grew up in a small town in Canada with absolutely nothing. Mother passed away when he was young, and now he's a very successful guy on Wall Street. And just those type stories, I think, are way more interesting than somebody talking about, you know, what the debt ratios might be or something like that. And clearly, there's a purpose for that, but that's not what attracts me. And I think that's what a lot of my guests look to. I would say almost all of my podcasts, I, I have something that comes from it that I didn't know about that person. And some of these folks I've known for a long time, I, Ralph Manning was one of my guests. I didn't, I knew he had something to do with horse, horse raise, raising horses, showing horses. I actually had horses when I was growing up, Arabians. We connected on this podcast after knowing each other for 15 years and realized that he's a significantly uh, well-established um, Arabian horse trainer and showman, uh, which is just, you know, you find out all these cool things. So I think I enjoy the connectivity and that relationship that gets built in the knowledge more than anything. And, and I think my most popular podcast to date really has been Jeff Sands, episode 57, uh, one that I put together very in very short time, and this is the really the only guest who's reached out cold and said, "Hey, I'd love to be on your podcast." We that was the reason why I reached out to do this episode with three of us. I listened to that, and yeah. that is one of the favorite podcasts I've ever heard. Not just in 
the M&A market, but ever heard. It was so deep. So cool story. He reached out two months ago, three months ago, maybe, and said, hey, I've I've written this book about turnarounds, artistry, and and I'd love to be on your podcast. And I just kind of yawned and was like, I don't see, you know, a real value here. And so as Corona started kicking in, he reached back out and he said, how about now? And I said, let's talk about it. So we had a call. I actually recorded that on a Sunday morning. And I actually, now the last 10 podcasts, I've used somebody else to edit and it's local. But on that one, I just, I literally finished the call. I thought it was so great. I finished at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, spent the next three hours editing and posted it that day. And, and I've got a lot of push through where private equity groups have been forwarding that to their CEOs. Uh, talking about how to prepare and, and work through this downturn that we're in. And it's been very popular. That's awesome. Kissing, what's been your either favorite episode or just some just some ones that you really enjoy and kind of remind you why you do podcasting? Uh, you know, last year we had two really popular ones. One was with uh, James Harris at Google, which got into some of the inner workings in terms of how they use agile project management uh, techniques in their process. And then the one I really liked a lot was with Scott Kaser, who is a United American Securities lead corporate development practitioner. And uh, we did a fun one because it was around how to develop an origination process, which is an area where I spend time doing buy-side M&A advisory work. So it was really nice just to be able to have a conversation where you also have some domain expertise and be able to just walk through that step-by-step. We actually converted that into an ebook just off of that one podcast. So that was that was good. And and that actually was the most viewed podcast, despite not having, you know, the big uh, Fortune 50 brand behind you. He still pulled it in and had the most listens just based off quality of content. So that's uh, sort of interesting to see that happen as well. In our industry, should there be podcasts that are focused on industry topics? Because should you talk about things on whether they're covenant trends or trends in, uh, you know, M&A in a particular industry, or is that content best suited for like a white paper or written content as opposed to podcast and video? What are your guys' thoughts? I don't think it matters as long as it's educational. You'll find an audience for it. I think, Jordan, the, the, the key really is for the, the podcast host to determine what's their goal as you started out with. And I think if you're, you know, a, a industry-focused PE or iBanker, that's a really relevant spot to be and you're going to build your brand within that. So, for instance, if you're focused on the consumer food and beverage space and you host a podcast that's bringing on leaders in that space, CEOs from large companies, uh, other PE firms, if you know, let's just say I'm an investment banker in that space, catering to PE and CEOs. If I create a podcast that's solely oriented towards that, then you're going to attract people that want to view your content that will build your personal brand within that universe or ecosystem, as we like to talk about at Lockton. Uh, and, and that will support what you're trying to create. So I think the key, and I was going to mention this earlier to any podcast, and I'm sure Kissin says the same thing, but you've got to be consistent. You've got to, I publish every other Friday on LinkedIn and Saturday morning, my podcast goes out to 3000 people. The minute you change and start being unpredictable, unpredictable in your patterns, people stop paying attention. And, and going back to that happy hour, we always used to do Houston on Wednesday, Dallas on Thursday. And one time in the middle of this 19 year tr- uh, history of that, I made a mistake and I accidentally inverted the days. 
And I had like a hundred people go, don't you mean Houston's on Wednesday? You want your customers and your listeners to get used to your pattern. And that's how you build your, your, your uh, track record with them. So let's do some kind of parting thoughts on what do you think in the next two years, some frontier strategies and tactics that are going to be applied in our market that might already be used in other ways, whether it's AI or whatever, in terms of marketing? Uh, I think it's like getting that whole mix together. We've already seen a trend with marketing automation. So now that you create that piece of content, you're able to create various forms of assets and then distribute it through a variety of channels. For us, we've been playing around with live podcasts the past month, and we're seeing some interesting things, completely different nature, completely different uh, approach to doing it. You know, even, even seeing that, I, I think you're going to see more of this sort of different types of content where it's not just a webinar or a podcast. People are actually looking at it more as a, an event and, and creating Have that. Have you done a LinkedIn live event yet? Yeah, we've been doing, I think, three of them so far. How they been in terms uh, of like, it, is it worth it? You know, you don't get, right now, the early stage, like anything else, Jeff, you've probably seen, it just takes like a year plus to really start getting your, your flow and, and building your audience and getting that uh, natural cadence. So we're still in that phase of it. But what's interesting is everybody knows that you publish live. It's just the way they broadcast the notifications and so forth. So what's interesting is, you know, this sort of immediate audience that's alive, engaged, asking questions may not be so large, but I, I think there's a lot of underlying value that you don't see because when I'm done with it, I get a lot of feedback like, oh, everybody knows that you, you did this podcast. So I, I think that's a big difference. It's just the way that broadcasts it. People know about it, may have not really tuned in. So that, that's what's interesting. And then the people that do tune in, you're starting to see like the regular guests. They're on every single week, like it's a show for them. Uh, and Jeff, what about you? What are some kind of parting thoughts? Um, because you have been a pioneer in the podcasting within our particular industry, and you've had a lot of success. What do you think the next couple of years looks like? I think that, um, you know, and I didn't give this history, but I actually have a series of events that I've run that started 18 years ago with one event. Now we have 17 events that we run uh, annually under a flag called North Star, which is similar to an ACG or, or TMA or any of the other you know, events out or management companies out there that are doing private equity focused events. Uh, in fact, Jordan, I just sent you a photo we're, right now while we're recording this, I had to jump off, but we had uh, we have a, a rotational meeting happening with 10 investment banks, 10 PE firms who are all meeting each other and having discussions like we would in our uh, physical type of meeting. So I think you know, the playbook that I've had for 25 years has not changed and is just utilizing different things like a podcast, which is new, to address that audience and address the, the end goal. I think you cannot underprice just that personal relationship, though. I, I think that all the different things that we're doing to gain uh, viewership and, and listenership is, is important but you've got to get in front of people face to face at some point. And, and I think you got to have a combination. So if you looked at my annual business plan, which I've been writing one forever every year, it, it, you would see a picture of a laser shot, like a, a you know, military person with a laser gun. And then you'd see a, a picture of a sawed off shotgun and, and you've got to have the, the gamut from, you know, the, the broad, you know, podcasts and LinkedIn and all that. And then some very tight knit focused marketing. Um, I do think that as we get 
two years down the road, you know, people are very, they, they lack focus and it's going to be hard to have somebody sit and watch a video for an hour. I just, that's really hard for people with ADD. Uh, so I think, you know, and you look at what TikTok's doing and all these other types of formats that are very quick video entertainment. I think being able to take things like this and snippet really important things that pull them into a longer podcast is important. But I think that I, I talked to a lot of people who are trying to do too much. They're trying to do a whole video and then, you know, stream it into a podcast and do all these things. Just start with something you can do. Do it right. Do it well and pace it and then add the next thing. Don't do too much at once. That's probably my parting thought. That's awesome. Guys, appreciate the time. I uh, look forward to, to doing something again soon. Hey, thanks, thanks, Jordan. Take care. See you guys. Bye.